I don't know about you, but it's, it warms my heart every time we get to do a covenant baptism. It warms my heart to know that, that God desires that my kids and my great-grandkids will come to know him in faith. And I hope that encourages you as well. If you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 5. We will be looking at just one verse today. I had great ambitions to get through three verses, but that didn't work out. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. As you know, we've um, returned to our series on Matthew, and that series is called uh, The Way. And right now we are in the part of the Gospel of Matthew that deals with the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, as I have said in the past previous sermons, is that this sermon is is about convictions of the way. And that way is not the way of the world. And honestly, it's not the evangelical way either. It's not a religious way. It's not the American Christianity way. It's not the American way. It's not a political way. It's not a majority cultural way or a minority cultural way. The convictions of the way is the way of Jesus Christ alone. It's the way of his kingdom. And he gives these convictions to to every believer that's on the face of the earth, regardless of their age, their nationality, their ethnicity. It's for all believers, to, to his church, to his disciples, to all those who have saving faith in him. He begins these convictions with the nine Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. These Beatitudes, as I said last week, are are really like a a triangle with three corners. And in each corner of this triangle, they help you to understand and interpret these Beatitudes properly. Do you remember the illustration? In the first corner, uh, these Beatitudes represent the the great reversal of fortune that that, that believers are waiting to experience. When Christ comes again with his second coming, the great reversal of fortune, the second corner, the Beatitudes represents uh, wisdom and virtue and ethics of the kingdom. In the third corner, they represent human flourishing in this life, Jesus's way. And I I borrowed this uh, concept of human flourishing from Professor Jonathan Pennington, who who uses flourishing instead of blessed in his translation of these Beatitudes. And according to him, these be- in these Beatitudes, Jesus is offering and inviting his hearers into a way of being in the world that will result in their true and full flourishing now and in the age to come. Last week, I preached on the first, the eighth and ninth Beatitudes. In those Beatitudes, the, 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 you flourish in this life not because you're poor in spirit, not because you suffer, and not because of persecution. You flourish because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And today I'm going to look at the second, third, and fourth beatitude, or the, the, fourth, the, third, the second beatitude today in Matthew 5, beginning in, in verse 4. And here is God's word to his beloved people. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Please pray with it for me. 
Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are always able, even when we're not able. Thank you that you're always at work, even when we're weary and tired, sick, frustrated, anxious, confused, lost. I thank you that you're with us as our helper, as our counselor, as our advocate, as the one that leads us into all truth. And it's my prayer that you will take uh, this word and apply it to my heart and apply it to the hearts of everyone that's here. I pray for those who are here who don't know you, that you will call them into the wonderful kingdom of God. And I pray for all the believers here that you will encourage them where they are in life. Help them to know that they're not alone and they're not abandoned. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Can y'all hear me out there? I feel like you can't. I feel like I'm going in and out. Well, I'll get it situated here. Just a moment. All right. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, a long way from home. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost gone, a long ways from home. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, a long way from home. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost gone, a long ways from home. Those words are from a traditional African-American spiritual. And these spirituals were orally passed down from my ancestors in, in these, this country. And these spirituals are really they songs of sorrow, songs of lament. And African-American spirituals, they have a dual reality to them. First, that they deal with the deep anguish of suffering and slavery and injustice. They deal with that reality. And second, they deal with the hope in a God who is always able. This dual reality is also expressed in the second beatitude in verse 4. It says, Flourishing are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And mourning is a response that all human beings have in life, to certain life experiences. You know, there are mournful responses to pain, to suffering, to wickedness, oppression, and injustice that we see and experience. And there's also mournful responses from people when they caught, get caught doing something they shouldn't do. They, they, they mourn as well. So which kind of mournful response do you believe Jesus is talking about in verse 4? What kind? It's not the mournful response Kids show their parents or grandparents before discipline is handed down. So I know my kids show that kind of mournful response. It's not the mournful response from people when they get caught committing a crime. It's not the mournful response that you show when your sin finds you out. It's not the mourning responses from business people and politicians and, and Christian leaders who are exposed for corruption and abuse of power. Jesus is talking about the mournful response that comes from the brokenness and evil and suffering, oppression, 
and injustice that we see and experience in this life. The kind of, or this kind of mournful response is really lament and grief. Have you ever grieved over something? We all have. Flourishing are those who mourn evil. Flourishing are those who grieve brokenness. Flourishing are those who lament suffering. Pastor Sue Chan Ross says, how we worship reveals what we prioritize. The American church avoids lament. Consequently, the underlying narrative of suffering that requires lament is lost in lieu of a triumphalistic, victorious narrative. We forget the necessity of lament over suffering pain. Absence doesn't, absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart forget. The absence of lament in the liturgy of the American church results in a loss of memory. The professor is right. The, there's a loss of memory in the, in the church in America across the board in, in every denomination, in every local church, in, in every church plant. And because every believer here, myself included, we have our own version of health and wealth Christianity. We have our own version of it. We have this subtle, individualistic, triumphalistic, victorious, exceptionalism narrative that can desensitize us to the brokenness around us. And it can make us skeptical and cynical. Like we can be so desensitized that, that we, all, we can look for ways to prove that the suffering and injustice others experience isn't really happening. Those people are making it up. They're lying. They have an agenda. That didn't really happen. Then others can take the civil lining route. Oh, bless your little heart. God works all things to the good of those who love him. I hope you love him. Where is your heart at this moment? Are you desensitized? Has absence made your heart forget? It's okay for believers to mourn and lament and grieve. Do you believe it? It's okay. It's okay. That's an amen statement. And it's okay. Pretending that you're not impacted by brokenness is not heroic. Okay? Stuffing emotional pain isn't a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. It is not a spiritual gift. And indifference to the suffering of others isn't you minding your own business. It just means you don't care. All these are denials of, of other people's experiences and a refusal to face the harsh realities of life. Again, it's okay for believers to have these responses. There's nothing unspiritual about you mourning, lamenting, and grieving. These responses are not a sign of weak faith. They're, they're not complaining. It's not whining. It's, it's not discontentment. They're not. Mourning, lamenting, and grieving are convictions of the way. They are the way of Christ. And, and these responses are an attempt to make sense of the harsh realities of life harsh realities of life. Mass shootings, terminal illness, mental health problems, racism, substance abuse, suicides, abortions, 
human trafficking. These are harsh realities of life. And they, are, and they can cause you to mourn, lament, and grieve. Because you're trying to make sense of it all. These responses, they even fly against the status quo that says, that's just the way it is. They fly against the status quo that says, it is what it is. They are refusal to just roll over and take it. See, all Christians should know the world was not created to be what it actually is. Every Christian should know that. That what we are seeing, the things that we are experiencing, that was not how God created the world. It wasn't created to be this. It wasn't created to be a place where evil or violence and death or abuse and injustice are normal. <laughs> he created the world good and, and perfect. Good and perfect. He created human beings in his own image to be in communion and fellowship with him and with each other. We were not created to be mourners, lamenters, and grievers. That wasn't his intent when he created our first parents, Adam and Eve. But as we know, Genesis 3 happened. Sin entered God's perfect creation. And so now we do mourn and we do grieve and we do lament. The many ways a fall has fallen on us, our world, and the people who live in it. The fall happened. And he has fallen on all of us in various ways. Because everything that we're seeing, the brokenness that we see, the evilness that we see, all of that is a result of Genesis 3. It's the fall working itself out. And no amount of progress in the world and culture cannot progress the fall. You can hide it, but sin always finds a way. You have to be redeemed out of it. Success, accomplishment, doesn't get you out of the fall and the consequences of it. Redemption does. Money doesn't. Living in a great country like America doesn't. Redemption does. You have to be redeemed out of those things. Are you redeemed? Do you know Jesus? Is he your Lord and Savior? Do you know him for yourself? Have you received him? Have you bowed down the knee to him? Do you love him? Is he your God? Is he your Lord? When we see the brokenness in this world as believers, it is an appropriate response for us to mourn and grieve and lament that stuff. Because we know that's not the way it was meant to be. We know that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And these are convictions of the way, but they aren't merit badges either or righteousness. Please know that. Please know that. Just because you mourn and grieve and lament, it doesn't make you more righteous. They're not your righteousness. And these responses are not the reason that believers flourish in life either. TBC Saints, believers don't flourish because they mourn and lament and grieve evil. They don't, the flourish is this, that we don't flourish, our, we don't flourish based on these responses. It's based upon the second half of verse four. Flourishing are those who mourn because they shall be comforted. And that's more than pie in the sky. 
Remember what I said about the dual reality of African-American spirituals. They deal with the deep anguish of suffering and slavery and injustice, but they also deal with the reality of hope in a God who is always able. They deal with both of those realities. So Christians can mourn and lament and grieve while holding on to hope at the same time. Why? Because they shall be comforted. It will happen. It's a promise. And this comfort is more than pie in the sky. It's divine comfort, comfort from the hands of Yahweh Elohim. God's faithfulness to his people is the reason why they flourish in this life despite what causes them to mourn, lament, and grieve. Amen. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? believe it, saints. What do you think believers are crying for when they mourn and lament and grieve the way Christ is talking about? What are they crying for? It's a cry for Eden. It's a longing for what was lost in the garden. These responses are a longing for the full redemption of all things through Jesus Christ. These, are, these responses are a prayer that says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're crying out for. Because again, as Christians, we know the things we see, it was not meant to be that way. It was not meant to be that way. Pastor Tim Keller says, the kingdom is the renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. That's what we're mourning for. That's what we lament for. That's what we grieve for. And that's what we're waiting for as believers. Things to be restored to health, beauty, and freedom. And that can only happen when things are bent, when, knee, when knees are bent to Jesus. When knees are bent to Jesus. Please know, Jesus just didn't come for individual salvation. He just didn't come so you can get saved and go to heaven. I've said this before. He has come to redeem every inch of God's creation. Because every inch of his creation was impacted by all of it. And he has come to make all of it new. And so we're longing for that. We mourn for that. We grieve for that. We lament for that as believers. And we do that with hope. What does the comfort of God look like presently in the midst of so much brokenness? What does it really look like functionally? Because sometimes you can talk about his comfort and it really is just pie in the sky. But when you're suffering, when you're hurting, when you have experienced great loss, what does his comfort look like? What does it look like? What is it? How does it feel? How do you experience it? Because if it's just something out there that we can't experience, then it is just pie in the sky. See, it, it, 
It's okay to say amen when you ain't suffering nothing. But if you lose a child, what does God's comfort mean to you? If you lose your job, what his comfort's going to look like to you? When you see hardship, what does it mean for God to comfort you in that? What does it mean? I had a friend, pastor friend of mine, one of his members told him, you know, he preached a sermon that, that Jesus calmed the storm. And this member just, just experienced something painful. And he told my pastor friend, you lied because Jesus didn't calm the storm. You lied on Sunday because he did not show up. That's real life, saints. So when you have that experience, when you feel like he hasn't shown up, what does it mean when it says, flourishing are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted? What does it really mean? Because if it doesn't, if it's this pie in the sky, it's pointless. This is pointless stuff. It has to mean something. On this side of heaven, God's comfort sometimes looks like you remembering his promises and his past faithfulness to you. Sometimes that's what it looks like. That you have to remember. Remember. Constantly throughout the Old Testament, he's always telling the people of Israel, remember. Remember this. Remember what I did here. Remember I parted the Red Sea. Remember this. Why is he telling them that? Because it's so easy for us to forget what he's brought us through in the past. Don't forget what he brought you through. And that gives you hope and perseverance for what you're currently going through or will go through. It will. Psalm 27, 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That's where you can pray that prayer. Or you can say, I don't believe that right now. And the Spirit can deal with that. Because some of you don't. And it's okay to say, Spirit, I don't believe that now. Help my unbelief. Deuteronomy 31, 8 says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Promise. That's comfort. That's comfort. You have to speak truth into your suffering. You have to speak truth into what you see happen in the world. Because if all you do is hang out on Twitter, you're going to be a very depressed Christian. If all you do is watch Fox News and CNN, you are going to be miserable. What is pouring into your life that has to be truth? Who is really, who, who are you really a disciple of? Jesus or man? 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Blessed be the Lord and the, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Amen, Pastor. 
Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That is either true or it's a lie. It's either true or a lie. It's truth, saints. His comfort also looks like believing that he's with you. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are all amen statements. These are all ways you can experience God's comfort on, on this side of glory. That there's never a day in your life when he's not with you as a believer. He's with you in the battle. He's with you in that thing and that issue. Shepherding you through that. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it. But our feelings don't dictate who God is. But he understands them. And he can minister to them. But you got to take it to him. His comfort in this life also looks like hope. Christians should be the most hopeful people on the face of this earth because of who we serve and who we believe in. And sometimes we're not. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, So we don't lose heart, though our inner self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light monetary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. As we look not to things seen, but to things unseen. For the things seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We have a hope like no other as sons and daughters of God. We can see the brokenness. We can see the pain. We can see the evilness in the world and still hold on to hope. Because we know that our God is bringing redemption. We might not see it right now, but we've got to believe that it's happening. Evilness will not have the last word. Your suffering will not have the last word. Your illnesses won't have the last word in your life. Because Jesus controls your destiny. The dual reality. Pain is real, but God is also able. And guess what? Only Christians can live in that dual reality. Woo! Only Christians can have that dual mindset. Life is crappy, but my God is able. Only Christians can live that way. Think about that. Because the God we serve is not a piece of wood. It's not an idol. It's Yahweh Elohim. And what we want him to do, he's been doing forever. Fighting his people's battles on their behalf. And he hasn't stopped. And he will not stop. Give him some credit, saints. Give him some credit. Because if he made a way to deal with your sin by sacrificing his own son, you don't think he can surely deal with what you're dealing with right now? Surely he can. Give him some credit, saints. And now I'm starting to sweat. I guess I'm starting to preach now. But I hope I'm not getting sick. So, hey, maybe I can sweat out the cold up here in the pulpit. His comfort also on this side of heaven 
looks like believers walking alongside of one another with empathy. Do you really believe you need other Christians in your life? Because that's the way that God can comfort you. Do you really believe that? Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 12, 15 and 16 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, and live in harmony with one another. God often comforts his people with his people. With his people. Can you be a comfort to other brothers and sisters in Christ? Comfort him, others, with the way God has comforted you. God's comfort also looks like deliverance or healing and restoration and redemption. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 32, Psalm 30, verse 2 says, Lord, my God, I call to you for help and you healed me. These are things that you hold on to, that you hold on to in this life. And finally, God's comfort is also future. That means we won't experience it fully on this side of heaven, but one day we will. Revelation 21, 4 says, he will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now that's the comfort I can't wait to get here. And it's coming. And it's coming. And it's not pie in the sky. It is a certainty. That verse is going to happen for all those who know Jesus and saving faith. And we got to hold on to that. As one hymn says, a patient song, this hymn earlier, it says, Harder it may be to fight, right may often yield to might. Wickedness a while may reign, Satan's cause may seem to gain, but there's a God that rules above with a hand of power and a heart of love. And if I'm right, he will fight my battle. We shall have peace. Someday. Someday. Burdens may crush us down. Disappointments all around. Troubles speak in mournful sigh. Sorrow through a, still, a tear-stained eye. But there is a world where pleasures reign, where morning soul roam its plains, and to the land of peace and glory we shall go someday. That's what Christians are waiting for. The full comfort of our God that is still to come. But through Christ, we get to taste that comfort now. And that's what this table reminds us of. And that's why we celebrate this table. This table is another way that God comforts his people. Do you believe that? Now, we don't celebrate the Lord's table just because it's a, it's a ritual. Amen, Lord. We don't celebrate the Lord's table because it's just a ritual that Christians have done throughout church history. We celebrate this because it's what the Lord God has called us to do. And he uses this table to supernaturally minister to his people. 
please know that, that the spirit can take these common elements. These are just common elements. And the spirit can take these common elements to minister to God's people. This table is a reminder of Christ's death and resurrection. And it's a meal that Jesus has given to nourish all of his people spiritually. And so if you are a believer, you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then this table and this meal is for you. I would like to invite the officers up who are going to assist with the elements to come forward.